0: Uh, We continue on with the Bible reading um, at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 5 as we continue to reflect on Jesus as our high priest. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered And, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him.
1: Every high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is beset by weakness. That's the reason why in the Old Testament high priests have to offer sacrifices for their own sins, as well as for the sins of the nation. Jesus, our high priest, didn't have to offer any sacrifice for his own sin, but his weakness is displayed in the way in which he brings to God his prayers and his petitions, which are offered with loud cries and tears. When we think of Jesus agonising in prayer in this kind of way, it's almost certainly the episode in Gethsemane which comes to mind, when Luke records that he was in such anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We're not told whether Jesus cried out or shed tears on this occasion. The only time we are told that Jesus wept was on his way to the tomb of Lazarus. And then it was clearly an expression of grief rather than weakness. When Hebrews refers to Jesus crying in prayer, it's impossible to say whether any specific event from Jesus' life is in view. But it seems clear that at least in Gethsemane, And maybe on other occasions as well, Jesus spent time pouring his heart out to God in prayer. And in this passage in Hebrews, what did he pray for with with tears and cries? We're not told specifically. Some have suggested he was praying for others. Maybe for the strength to persevere. Perhaps for victory over Satan, or that the Father would take his life. Since we're told that Jesus was praying Uh, to the one who could save him from death the most natural the most natural inference is that Jesus was praying for deliverance from death and we're told that his prayer was heard because of his reverent submission or his godly fear and that's where people struggle a little bit to make sense of this passage because Jesus was praying to the one who could deliver him from death and he was heard because of his reverence or his godly fear and yet it doesn't look as if that prayer was answered. We see Jesus in tears, crying out, praying fervently to the one who's able to deliver him from death. And if you hear that God has heard that prayer and listened to it, you might deduce that that prayer was answered and Jesus was spared. But we know that didn't happen at all. Despite crying out to the one who could deliver him from death and his prayer being heard because of his reverent submission and even though he was God's son and dearly loved, his obedience was tested to the limit as he suffered and died on the cross. Seemingly it was only by doing so that he could, be com- he could completely fulfil his mission of becoming the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. As one commentator puts it, Jesus was heard. But his prayer for deliverance was answered only in his exaltation. So it's clear that in going to the cross, in drinking the cup of suffering, that was the last thing that Jesus wanted to do. And he instinctively shied away from what was to come and he asked that he might be spared. Nevertheless, as the gospel accounts make clear, he recognised he might have to go through with it. And so he always ended his prayers by accepting the Father's will rather than pushing for what he himself wanted so badly. So this is our high priest. One who can sympathise with our weaknesses. Who knows what it means to dread what is to come. Who doesn't pray in the quiet serenity of calm acceptance. That prayer, Lord grant me the serenity to accept the things I hadn't changed, can't change, hadn't been written yet. He sobs and cries out in prayer because of the intensity of what he's going through. And we have here as well, and this is important, the Son of God not getting his prayers answered in the way that he'd hoped or longed for. We celebrated answers to prayer earlier in the service, but sometimes we know it doesn't always work out that neatly or that well. Jesus was not permitted to take the easier route or be spared the suffering or get what he wanted. He had to go through what lay ahead of him, even though God heard his prayers. Yes, deliverance from death did ultimately come because God didn't leave him in the grave, but that wasn't what he asked for, what he longed for, what was really in his heart. We're dealing with a God who always hears our prayers, but sometimes doesn't answer them as we hope or wish who sometimes doesn't give us what we want however godly or reverent we might be for Jesus the only path to being the saviour of the world led through intense suffering and much as he dreaded it and asked to be spared it he walked that path for us and sometimes for us the path can be very hard as well and we may not ever be able to see why it had to be so painful and difficult. But in Jesus, we see one who has been through exactly what we're going through, who's walked that path of confusion and distress and despair and suffering, and who knows and understands our weakness and our vulnerability and our grief firsthand. And come what may, he is your saviour. And nothing can ever change that. When Jesus prayed in the garden that night, he did so because in his weakness, he knew he needed to turn to God. He had no other option, if you like. Unlike the disciples who couldn't keep their eyes open, sleep that night was unthinkable for Jesus. The only way he could avoid running away, the only way he could see his, this through, was to stay and Pray. And he did so with loud cries and tears, because at that moment in time, nothing mattered more to him than finding the strength to face what was to come. He's a model of prayer for us. Many of you will be aware that at the moment we are seeking to put prayer at the very centre of our identity as a church and of everything we do. And we need to. In the past, perhaps we might have been quite comfortable... And there's always a danger of being comfortable that you can feel a bit self-sufficient. God's moved us out of that comfort zone. The result is that we are conscious that we have to rely on God more for his guidance and for his provision. And that is a harder road to walk. It's also a healthier road to walk as a church. We're walking by faith in God, not by sight in who we are or what we do already. One of the hard questions to ask ourselves is, are we a praying church? And if at the church meeting you remember Deborah saying, well, you know, we, we don't aspire to be a praying church, we are a praying church. Well, we are, but we could do better. We could be praying more. We have discussions about the format and structure of our prayer meetings and whether they are sufficiently interesting and engaging. But to some extent I'm not sure that's the right question to ask. The question to ask is, what matters enough? to drive you to seek God earnestly in prayer and maybe to want to pray with others about it. And the thing about being in a church this size, that we're relatively small tonight, is that we all have different priorities when it comes to prayer. What is at the top of my list isn't necessarily at the top of yours. I'm inclined actually to see that as a positive rather than a negative
0: Because it means that
1: between us all we are more likely to pray for a wider range of issues. Because I'll be praying for what matters to me and you'll be praying for what matters to you. And that's a good thing. For whatever reason, there seems to be a strength in praying together. Jesus really wanted the disciples to watch with him in the garden. They weren't up to it. That left him feeling even more vulnerable. So coming together for prayer in some sense, is is important because when I come to a meeting and pray with you about what matters to you, the fact that I pray with you matters to you as well as arguably increasing the effectiveness of the prayer. I've never seen prayer meeting attendance as a numbers game, but I do see it as an important expression of our readiness to come alongside each other and pray together for the things that matter to us. What matters to you may not be at the top of my list, but because it matters to you, I will support you in praying about it. And therefore, whoever's leaving the prayer meeting, whatever is on the agenda, we we owe it to them and come and pray with them along what God has laid on their hearts. Prayer shouldn't be a reluctant duty, but part of our commitment to God and to being there for each other. And Ian, bless him, they had a brilliant prayer meeting this Sunday, this Wednesday just gone. I looked up to see whether there are other examples of people praying with loud cries and tears. And there's one example in the apocryphal book of Three Maccabees, when the Egyptian king Ptolemy announced his intention to go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, which was absolutely sacred. In response to this devastating news, the people gathered to pray. We read that the priests, in all their vestments, prostrated themselves and entreated the supreme God to aid in the present situation and to avert the violence of this evil design. And they filled the temple with cries and tears. Those who remained behind in the city were agitated and hurried out, supposing that something mysterious was occurring. Young women who had been secluded in their chambers rushed out with their mothers, sprinkled their hair with dust and filled the streets with groans and lamentations. Those women who had recently been arrayed for marriage abandoned the bridal chambers prepared for wedded union and, neglecting proper modesty in a disorderly rush, flocked together in the city. Mothers and nurses abandoned even newborn children here and there, some in houses and some in the streets, and without a backward look they crowded together at the Most High Temple. Various were the supplications of those gathered there because of what the king was profanely plotting. In addition, the bolder of the citizens would not tolerate the completion of his plans or the fulfilment of his intended purpose. They shouted to their compatriots to take arms and die courageously for the ancestral law and created a considerable disturbance in the holy place. And being barely restrained by the old men and the elders, they resorted to the same posture of supplication as the others. Meanwhile, the crowd, as before, was engaged in prayer. It's all a bit dramatised and melodramatic, But such was the response to the news that a pagan king was going to enter the Holy of Holies. So as we think about Brighton Road, or about your life, or what we see in the news, my question is, what matters enough to you to move you to pray with intensity? What moves your heart and your mind, engages you, means you... you, you feel you have to pray to God about this because you can't just leave it, you can't walk away indifferently. What is it that moves you in that kind of way? Because prayer is about pouring our heart out to God, as Jesus did in the garden. Bringing to him what really matters to us because we know that we matter to him. And it's about praying that God would be honoured in our lives, in our families, in this church, in our country, and in the world. So when it comes to prayer, sometimes the primary question is not whether we should pray or how often we should pray or in what way we should pray, but what are we going to pray about? What is it that God places on our hearts that moves us in that kind of way? The primary question is what matters? Because if nothing matters, you've got nothing to pray about. But I don't believe that any of us in the situation here where nothing matters. If there are things that matter, then God is listening. God is there. God is tuned in to what is on your heart and mind. And there are others around who care enough for you to pray with you if that's what you want. Let me be up front here. We are going to have a time of unstructured prayer after our next hymn. And it's a chance for you to pray about whatever matters to you. Whatever God lays on your heart. Whatever moves you in that kind of way. And this is the risky bit you can pray in whatever way you like you might just want to sit and pray in silence on the table there there are are small bits of paper and pencils you might want to come and write a prayer and put it under the cross symbolically placing it at Jesus' feet if you like and giving it to God that way you might want to write it uh, on the flip chart over here and the, the camera will be there uh, so we can see what people have written and we can, you can, we, we can make that a focus for our own prayers. You might want to say your prayer out loud. Feel free to do that because then we could all join with you. We can break from what's in our mind and join with you in that prayer and say amen with you. You might want to pray quietly with the person next to you if you feel comfortable and wanting to do that. I'm going to be over there and I'll be standing and praying. But if you would like me to pray with you, please come and I'm happy to pray with you just briefly. In the service, and if others feel right i 'd be willing to pray with people, then come and stand over there as well, and, and you know if you want prayer with someone, then come and talk to someone who 's over standing over there, and we can pray together in whatever way it is, staying seated, talking to the person next to you, praying out loud, writing it down here or there, praying with somebody over there. this is your chance to bring to God what really matters to you, what is really In your heart. How you pray doesn't matter. What you pray for is going to be different for everybody. But recognise. That it matters to God. Every bit as much as it matters to you. Because he's listening. And we're all here together. So after we've sung our next hymn. In whatever way feels right to you. We're going to have about. Ten minutes or so-ish, maybe more, because I'm aware we have to get home and it might be snowing. But in whatever way matters to you, to bring to God the things that really matter in your heart.